not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. everyone and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host Jean McCarthy. I write the blog Unpickled. I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there and I invite you to share your stories here. And before we get to today's guests, let me just tell you that as I record this, it is back to school season. Some of you are already full in the swing. Some of you are shopping for, you know, new boots and blue jeans and pink erasers and, um, some of you are packing lunches. It's a, it's a time of change. The seasons are changing. Our schedules are changing. And I just want to take a moment to remind you that change can be disruptive, even when it's positive, even if you're happy about the whole fall turn of the seasons and the return of the school year, the return of, of different weather shorter days for those of us that are in regions that experience that. Um, so I just a reminder to give yourself a little extra love if you're feeling out of sorts and you're not sure why, that could definitely be it. Parents, I recognize for you that this is a stressful time. And even though you might be happy that you are maybe sending your kids back to school and excited to see them move on with their education careers and bump up a grade and get new teachers and everything. It, those first day of school pictures are always so exciting and so fun, but I recognize that that there is definitely stress around that. Teachers in recovery, I know lots of you that listen are teachers. My hat is off to you. You do fantastic, important work. And a lot of people in recovery are teachers who feel an extra dose of shame, feeling that people would be afraid to leave their children in their care if they knew that they were in recovery or that they were in the process of seeking recovery. So I want to just send you some extra love as you go back to school and... Um, and hunker down into a new year. And if you're considering recovery, I highly recommend it. There are um, lots of resources. Message me if you are looking for that, and I can point you in the direction of a few guests on this show that are educators that talk about the particular pressures of being a teacher in recovery. And also, I want to make a note that there are students listening as well. Some of you are mature students, and there are young people in recovery that listen to this podcast too. And so this is a big time of change for you as well. So love to all of you. And as for the rest of us, um, this time of year is when we break out the cozy sweaters and start to think about this this fall that's ahead of us. It's a little bit of a reprieve after the party time of summer and, and as we take a break before the um, holiday season that is just around the corner and that's super stressful. So this is a great time to just double check your your recovery routine, check your patchwork of recovery and reassess. It's a great time to just do a little bit of reflection and see what you need to be working on right now. So let's talk about today's show. There is a new podcast. Talk about adding new things to your recovery patchwork. Uh, there's tons of great new podcasts out there. One new recovery podcast is by my friends Liv and Tiffany who have created Breaking Free podcast and it is about recovery from all kinds of things. And they say their goal is to challenge and break the paradigms that keep us small, support others to be empowered and create their own patchwork of recovery, and make recovery more inclusive and accessible. They regularly address recovery, health, lifestyle, and diet culture to smash the frequently false and misleading assumptions that have become second nature in our society. Now, Liv Pinelli, you may recognize that name, Liv's Recovery Kitchen, of course, is her fantastic popular blog, and she is a recovery writer, journalist, and coach. I interviewed her in April of 2017, so if you go back through the Bubble Hour archives at Season 5, Episode 26, she's partnered 
partnered up with a friend of hers, an RN and recovery coach and woman in recovery, Tiffany Thoen. And the two of them met through their recovery connections and decided that the conversations they were having amongst themselves, agreeing, disagreeing, were things that other people would want to hear. And so I invited them to come and talk about their podcast on the Bubble Hour and to tell us a little bit about themselves and about some of their perspectives. So here you go. Enjoy the conversation I had with Liv Pinelli and Tiffany Thoen. Well, I have Liv and Coach Tiff on the line with me now. After a little flurry of activity, we had the the techno wizards jump in and give us some help and we had the universe conspire against us momentarily, but we've defied the odds and we are all together on the line. I'm so excited to talk to both of you. Welcome to the Bubble Hour and congratulations on your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. It's so nice to see you, you know, or hear you. I can't see you. It's nice to hear your voices. And it's been a year plus since we spoke because we last chatted um, in Los Angeles last summer at the She Recovers conference. And we were just thinking about this podcast and we we spent a while talking about podcasting and, and, you know, what Mm -hmm. some of the trends were in it and you kind of were playing with this idea because you were having such great conversations you were like this is really good content we should be sharing this with people yeah so tell me what's happened since then and tell me how breaking free came to be well we we thank you Jean and it's it's wonderful to talk to you again um we you know we would have these conversations Tiffany and I met um Gosh, it was two, was it two summers ago now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I actually, um, I, I'm not a religious person. I'm a pretty spiritual person. And I think that the universe has a, has a plan for me. Um, you know, I had to have a, a huge amount of faith to do what I did and move into America, but I, um, you know, I was, I was so frustrated. I'd moved to Portland and I was really struggling to meet women like me the women that were at she recovers and you know a fellow entrepreneur and so I actually like said a prayer to the universe and was like I need please I need to find my people and I went to this um recovery birthday party and walked in and there was Tiffany and we became very fast friends and uh we God, we we pretty much hit it off right away mm-hmm. and then met the following week and then met several times a week. And we would have these conversations in Tiffany's car about recovery. At that point, I'd left 12-step and Tiffany, you were still... Yeah, occasionally still going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we would just have these conversations where we would challenge each other's perspective. I would challenge some things around recovery and language and you would challenge some of my... Um, perspectives around diet and body image and um and you said to us we should be we should be having a podcast and I said yeah but it's so much work (laughs) (laughs) and then and then Tiffany said well why don't you speak to Jean and um yeah you you encouraged us and we went off and we did a lot of research and we actually hired a coach and had a, a conversation about we were really intentional about the whole process, like who our audience was going to be, uh, the programming, how we wanted to bring about our unique perspectives to the podcast and how that would really impact people in recovery. So, yeah, that's a very long-winded way of explaining that. What do you want to add? Yeah. So thank you again, Jean, for having us on. And, um, and I do remember that conversation. You were so generous with Um, your time and really encouraging us. So we really appreciate that, especially from someone who's so seasoned when it comes to podcasting and um, so knowledgeable in the area. And so what happened? Yeah. So we had that conversation and found that it was something that kept calling to us and we really wanted to do, but we both have so many passions and so much that we're doing already being solopreneurs that um, you know, it was a matter of, do we have the energy for this? And people just kept saying like, you know, you should do it. And so, um, like Liv said, we did a lot of research, we hired a coach and then we decided that we wanted to make this happen. So we did a bunch of, we batch recorded because we knew that for both of us, the summertime wasn't going to be very realistic and got a bunch of episodes going before we actually launched any of them. 
And that was really um, fun, but also then it kind of amped up our our urgency because, you know, here we had this like content that we were sitting on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we finally launched, oh, let's see, well, it would be 17 weeks ago. And we've been putting out an episode a week since then. Um, and are kind of getting back into recording more. And now no, we're 12 starting... weeks ago. 12... Because we, we oh, that's released right. five at the same time. It's only been 12 weeks. It's so... been 12 weeks. But there's 17 episodes out. And um, we're, we're just so happy. We're so thrilled to be, you know, really bringing our vision and our mission to people and supporting people in finding their their path to recovery. So tell me your elevator pitch for your <laughs> podcast. If I meet you on the street and I say, hey, have you ever heard of any good podcasts? What what should I be listening to? What would you be telling me about Breaking Free Recovery? We would say Breaking Free Recovery is about empowering people to find their pathway of recovery. It's one that is unique to them and meets their individual needs. So yeah, our, our, our short elevator pitch is empowering people to find a recovery that's right for them. What's the response been from the episodes you've released so far? Great. Um, we had hoped that it would explode a little bit more, but it, but I think about 1,500, we've had about 1,500 listens so far, and I'm told that that's still good. Um, and everybody that has listened has been our target audience, which has been really wonderful. You know, people have said, oh, my God, I've been thinking this for so long. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that you have said, you know, put, put these words out there. You know, and I guess this is kind of like some of my journalism in a way where, where people say, I guess, words to affirm that I've validated any concerns that they've had in their recovery you know, that this doesn't feel quite right, it's not sitting with me, you know, how I feel about myself and how I relate to this particular journey of recovery that feels stagnant or controlling in some way. And we're, we're bringing about a fluidity to recovery. You know, we're saying, actually, you know, your journey can flex to what you need and that it will change over time. And um, this is a different way of looking at things. And you don't need to be so structured and critical of yourself. You can be empowered in choosing something that's right for you. And you don't need to care about what anyone else thinks. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the very first um, bit of feedback we got was from someone who actually I had known for a long time. And it wasn't until I started talking about being in recovery that she mentioned that she's also in long-term recovery. Uh, and she said that, you know, she's waited 20 years to hear this podcast and how, and that just, yeah, uh, it just made me, you know, immediately brought, you know, tears to my eyes and brought, you know, made my heart just kind of swell up um, because that's really, we wanted to give a voice to um, people who are wanting to find their own way or wanting to be, to know that it's okay to, um, to not think differently. Yeah. To think differently. Absolutely. And to, um, really want to honor yourself. And in think your big too, right? This is a bit of a Tara Moore moment, you know, <laughs> like playing big. Yeah. This is about saying to yourself, I don't need to keep myself in this broken box, of defects this is saying actually you know recovery is supposed to be expansive and um enlightening and purposeful and you know being having humility isn't about being humble and small it's about being in your right size and if that means that you have a big voice and you want to share your passion with the world then absolutely go and do it mm -hmm. Have you gotten any pushback for challenging more traditional roots? I mean, I do it all the time on this show. I, uh -huh. I, I'm a firm believer that patchwork recovery is really what appeals to a lot of people right now. So a lot of people need a rigid program to follow. But I think because the information age is bringing a lot of people to recovery earlier in their addiction trajectory, they're able to sort of pick and choose um, from a number of different modalities. But occasionally I get pushback from people who are really entrenched in a fairly rigid form of recovery and feel really uncomfortable that people are talking about other ways. What mm -hmm. kind of feedback are you getting in that regard and how do you handle it if you hear that kind of criticism? 
Yeah. Yeah. We've actually, we've had less, um, less of that than we anticipated actually, which has felt really good. Uh, but I feel like we've had a few people who said, you know, at first I was really hesitant or these subjects Mm -hmm. make me nervous, but in listening to it, I can see what you're saying. So that's been really great to feel like we are, um, encouraging conversation and thinking outside of the box around recovery and, and recognizing that everyone's recovery is not, um, it does not have to look the same. One thing I think that that stems from that you're talking about is a fear that if we allow recovery to be flexible or look like something else, that somehow it's going to diminish our own recovery. Mm-hmm. If we talk about, you know, for example, um, using medication to support someone in recovery, that the person who doesn't use medication, you know, they're they're afraid that somehow it, it changes um, their safety or their recovery. And so we really do try to let people know we, we, we appreciate all, all aspects of recovery. So if your pathway is the traditional 12 step, um, complete abstinence based and, you know, um, that's it, that you don't use other, you know, you don't use other modalities in your recovery, then that's, that is totally a valid pathway. So I think, you know, really trying to let people know that we do respect their pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, We did have someone recently say that they felt that we were um, kind of making light of someone's religion or something like that on the podcast. And, you know, we try to take that really seriously and we let them know that, you know, we think that um, if that's something that works for the individual, then it's amazing. Right. And that we want to show respect for all all pathways or patchwork, you know, and, um, and I think just showing people respect has been really helpful, but, um, but also, you know, welcoming that conversation to happen has really made it a lot smoother than we expected. I I did have a a woman who threatened to take me down last week. (laughs) But that was uh, that was because she didn't like the boundary that I set in one of my in one of my Facebook groups, and 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 that's really just been that the you know there's been two people that have done that and it has nothing to do with the podcast whatsoever. Um, this is more a reflection of their state of mind, which is unfortunate. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, and I, I reiterate what Tiffany says. We we believe passionately that just because someone has a different a different pathway it doesn't diminish or invalidate theirs um you know I, I was writing about this yesterday you know I was writing about um people who were sober curious and how that's had some pushback in the recovery community because in some way they feel like people are coming in as sober tourists and picking up recovery and putting it down when they feel like it and that for, for others this isn't this is a life or death decision and, um, you know, my, my argument is, is kind of the same there is like, just because, um, this works for some, someone on one occasion and they decide not to stick with it, it's better that we create that awareness and it doesn't threaten your recovery. You know, your recovery is, is exactly that. It's what you put into it. It's, it, it's completely separate from what other people decide to do in their lives. So yeah, we, we support anyone's pathway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that for both of you, um, at least from what I listened to, I listened to several episodes and I, I believe that, um, like me, you're encouraging abstinence-based recovery, um, even if harm reduction is what gets you there. Or am I wrong about that? Are you open to moderate moderation as a form of recovery or do you support or believe in abstinence-based recovery? Um, yeah, so I personally, so, you know, I am abstinent. Um, I've been sober for 21 years. I don't use, uh, you know, I don't use any, um, mind altering substances. And I think that really what we're trying to do is highlight that they are all valid pathways, right? Or patchworks, however you want to frame it. And that if someone uses harm reduction, that's, you know, that's their choice. And if they want to identify, if they do identify with being in reduction or in recovery, that that's still valid. And so I think it's important to, that we're, you know, we're really trying to highlight that it's individual Mm -hmm. um, and that 
we want to reduce stigma and shame so that recovery can be as accessible as possible for as many people Mm -hmm. as possible for as many people as need it or would benefit from it. And so we need to look at reducing stigma within recovery as well. And so when we talk about things like harm reduction or um, people who use, you know, marijuana or um, people who use medication, you know, to support their recovery there's a lot of stigma associated with that, and we want to really break that down so that if that is what works for someone, they're not looked at as less than because mm-hmm. of that. So we're not really mm-hmm. promoting abstinent-based recovery. We're promoting um, a reduction in stigma and shame for anyone who struggles with substance use or alcohol use disorder. And and I would add, uh, too, that I think we should look at all recovery through a lens of harm reduction. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Tell us more about than, that. Well, rather than harm reduction being separate to recovery, mm-hmm. I think that we should look at recovery through a lens of harm reduction. So that means one way of reducing harm could be abstinence. Another way could be um, using medication and being abstinent from the more a more harmful drug like heroin. It could be um, using psychedelics and being abstinent from alcohol. It could mean um, moderation management. It could mean any number of different ways to reduce harm in your life because ultimately that's the end goal. Um, and I think it's just changing that, shifting that perspective slightly and saying, you know, why is abstinence the ultimate outcome? Because when it is, we create this hierarchy in recovery, which isn't necessarily accessible to all. Mm-hmm. Or necessary for all, even though yeah. I... Well, the guest that I had on yesterday said something interesting that's been playing through my mind, which was that he said, you know, when you meet someone in recovery, you you've met them like every day we're trying to get better. So when you see them again a week from now, they're going to be better than they were the day you met them. And when you see them a year from now, they're going to be improved in other ways. And because we're always working on ourselves and we're always moving forward. And I feel that way sometimes with regards to blogging and podcasting and keeping the conversation going is that I don't think any of us really present ourselves as like ultimate authorities who are taking a stand and promoting a position. It's if, if our goal is to reduce stigma, it is, and to, and to, uh, make connections for people. And um, then then we have to sort of be open to, well, if we're, if we're going to encourage conversation, sometimes those conversations are uncomfortable and sometimes mm. they are challenging. And um, what's the point of having a conversation if you're going to only stay stuck in your ways? Mm. So, and yet for me, you know, I really believe it really is important um, that I stay free from drugs and alcohol, even though drugs was never my thing, maybe only because I hadn't gotten to it yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it's an important part of my recovery because I feel like it would probably start the same pattern off for me. And, And being fully present is really important to me. And yet I totally hear what you're saying, Liv, and that um, what is our goal? Our goal is to improve and be well. But some people mm-hmm. are fiercely protective of that word sober and what sober means to them and that it must mean X, Y, Z. And so um, it's really, really, it's not just uncomfortable. It's like almost feels dangerous and threatening to them to have a conversation yeah. that challenges that word at all. So, yeah, and, it's and some might argue those that take psychedelics might argue that they have a greater sense of sobriety than someone that does not because it creates a, a, another realm of consciousness that we can't otherwise access. So by that, are you talking about like ayahuasca therapy or something yeah, like that? Yeah, ayahuasca and other types of psychedelics that are used. Just like microdosing know. or yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, Jean, I really appreciate the way you frame that and bringing your points um, up because, because like you said, for you, it's really important. And also for me, it's really important. Um, But that's something that I came to on my own. And I think about now um, people who come into recovery and still smoke pot, for example. Um, So, you know, early on, not early on for me, I I would say, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, um, I had a a man that I was dating and I found out he'd been, you know, 
abstinent from alcohol from a certain date. And yet he'd smoked pot in the interim. And it wasn't like something he was doing consistently, but he had. And he felt that that didn't change his sobriety rate. And I, you know, at that point kind of freaked out on him. And I was like, what are you talking about? Of course it does. And, you know, we had this whole drama about it. Um, And fast forward years later, I actually worked with somebody in the program who, um, you know, we were, she chose to use pot as part of her, um, you know, life and didn't think that that diminished her um, recovery or her abstinence from alcohol. And, you know, I'm so fortunate that I've been able to meet Lib and that we've really been able to, I've, I've been able to kind of open my thinking about this because as Lib mentioned through the harm reduction lens, I know that that person's life was much better being free of alcohol. I don't know what her life would be like if she was free of marijuana, but, um, you know, the streets are safer, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and it's shifting things for her and her family. So, you know, if we if we are judgmental and say, well, you know, then you're not sober or you're not um, you're not in recovery. Um, sober is a tough one because you know if you look up the dictionary definition, it's it's clear that it means free of alcohol, but it's not clear if it means free of marijuana, right? Um, it means clear headed. Is one of the definitions. Yeah, being clear-headed, right? So but that's, that's subjective. Yeah. So that one's a tough one. But if we say you're not in recovery because you choose to use these other substances, um, whether it's you know medication prescribed by a doctor, whether it's um, medical marijuana or marijuana, in, we're in Portland, Oregon, it's legal here. It's you can I could walk down the street and buy some at a place, you know. <laughs> um, then you know we really are continuing that stigma and that. Good, bad thinking around recovery, which then prevents people from seeking support. It's shaming. It's shaming. Yeah. So that's really why we're passionate about it is that we want to reduce that shame um, and instead look at how can we increase accessibility to as many people as possible. Hmm. So tell me some of the topics that you've tackled so far on your show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so the one that came out today, uh, oh yes, no, hang on. Where are we? Came out on Tuesday, yesterday, was um, why diets don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, we So we, we started off with a recovery focus and then we shifted to, uh, and we kind of looked at this through the lens of the topics that you, or the issues that you face as you progress in your recovery, you know, so you're looking at what does recovery look like? Um, yeah, the essentials the of recovery. Pathways. Yeah, what what are the critical elements? Um, what what is some of the re- what does some of the research say about the recovery landscape? Uh, how do people recover? Um, what some shaming language and how does that impact people in recovery? And then and then we look at you know our relationship to our body. Um, a researcher, Austin Brown, thinks that, you know, recovery is relational, how we relate to our recovery, how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to institutions. So, you know, as we're progressing, we're looking at, at how we relate to our bodies and body dysmorphia, eating disorders, uh, disordered eating, all of those things are things that many of us encounter in recovery. And that's where we're we're progressing down that road right now. So why diets don't work? What is intuitive eating? Um, yeah, yeah. So we, we basically wanted to do, like Liv said, is we really wanted to highlight the, um, we were looking more at substance use and alcohol use disorder in the beginning. And we really wanted to highlight the um, kind of alternate options, right? And we also looked at why 12 step or what, you know, the benefits of 12 step. And then we also talked about some of the challenges in 12 step recovery. And then we looked at the shaming language and all of that, but, um, but we really wanted it to kind of flow into recovery from all things. And so that's, you know, where we started talking about the intuitive eating piece, which is what I do in my work. Uh, Liv is more, she's a writer and she does more about, you know, recovery, like focusing on kind of breaking down the paradigms in recovery, which is a huge piece of our podcast. But then in the future, which we're actually recording um, some starting today, we're going to be recording around things like uh, boundaries and trauma. Trauma. Yeah. Because that's, you know, those are things that are critical to people in all types of recovery, whether it's from any, you know, disordered eating or an eating disorder, or whether it's amphetamines or, you know, whether it's um, recovery from, 
another behavior like gambling or something like that, right? We all um, need to learn how to identify and honor our boundaries. And oh, we had one on sex too. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, sex and recovery. With, with Jennifer Jen Matisa. Matisa. Oh, I love Jennifer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the you, salt and pepper song came to my head every time. <laughs> every time. <laughs> so you're having the the conversations that you were basically having amongst yourselves, and when you mm-hmm. put them in front of a microphone, did did, do you feel like something changed when you opened your conversations up to a broader audience or have you been able to bring this sort of, you know, one-on-one friendship level of raw, honest dialogue that you have amongst yourself? Do you feel like anything is, is lost by putting a microphone in front of yourselves or are you able to just be as unfiltered as you are? when you're not on That's the air? That's a great question. Yeah, that is a great question. I'd I, say, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, I think that we have maintained the tone um, and the, you know, the, when we're talking, it, it's very similar to the way that we talk yeah. um, in real life. But um, we wanted to, there to be structure. We didn't want it to just be like us rambling. Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely, you know, we do a little outline. We don't, you know, read a script or anything. It's not, you know, it's nothing that structured, but we have a little outline, things that we want to be sure to include. We do try to bring the research into it, which actually is something we do in our conversation, you know, especially with Liv's writing and my work, we have to know, you know, I'm an RN and, um, and, you know, we have to present real evidence. And so you can't, you know, can't all just be opinions. Mm. We wanted this to be an intersection between our experience and what the research is showing so that people know, um, that it, you know, that it is valid and here's why. Yeah. And, and also I think the same thing happens with the podcast that happens with my writing is that, you know, people say, oh my God, how do you do it? It's so difficult. I can't write. And honestly, I always say something kind of magical happens. I put my fingers on the keyboard and it just comes out. Not always, you know, sometimes it (laughs) is a slog, Um, particularly at the minute. I'm, I'm quite tired. I'm falling, dealing with the fallout of buying a house, um, which is quite a, you know, a privileged position to be in, but it was also really difficult doing it on my own. And, um, yeah, the same thing happens with the podcast is I, I just kind of go into the space of opening my mouth in a way. It's kind of like a share, right. Mm. Is, you know, a share in a meeting is you just open your mouth. And I, I firmly believe that, that whatever comes out, someone needs to hear. You know, sometimes, very rarely nowadays, but I remember in the early days of of sharing in a meeting, you do that. Oh, my God, why did I say that? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't I don't feel that very much with the podcast. And then we yeah. have the opportunity yeah. to edit if that's the case, you know. Yeah, we hardly edit. Um, there's only been one thing that I said that I was like, there's no way that I... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I want that to come out. And, it, you know, it was just something judgy came out of my mouth. And I was like, you know, I don't, that's not. And that's the benefit of doing this podcast, right? Is that we are constantly creating an increased level of awareness about what we're saying and how we're behaving. Yeah, absolutely. We recognize that if we want to be leaders, yeah. we need to put our, you know, put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, right? We need to really um, walk the talk. And but also that important. we're human, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we're people in recovery. Yeah. And we need to constantly challenge this, this um, belief that is put forward sometimes that, you know, sometimes when you find recovery or you get to a certain point in recovery that life is breezy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and your language is perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go back to something you said in passing, Liv, because to me this this requires celebration. You mentioned that you bought a house and that you're yeah. a writer. And so I just I just want to <laughs> I've just yeah, I've just yeah. finished writing. A bought a house. Yeah. A writer bought a house. A single female writer bought a house. I mean that's like you know, a standing ovation to you because um, it is really hard to make a living as a writer. And I know you work your butt off. And mm-hmm. um, I really, I celebrate what you've achieved there because Thank that you. that takes dedication and um, that's amazing. So I'm going to just um, take a minute and ask each of you to just tell me a bit about yourselves and then... Um, and then I want to talk about the community that you've built as well. So 
Liv, I know you were on the Bob Lauer. Um, gosh, it's been a couple years, I think. It was a couple years, yeah. And uh, so I will post a link to that in the show notes to the interview I did with you. But just tell us a little bit about yourself. You mentioned that you recently moved to America. So um, yeah. let's let's just hear a little bit about you. Yeah, so I, I got into recovery in 2012 and... Um, I was a couple of years in and I was pretty miserable and thinking, is my life just sitting in church basements and stuffing my face after a meeting, uh, you know, and working in a miserable job because I should be grateful for it. And I just decided that there had to be more. And I think that's the thing about my personality is there has to be more than this. And um, I just started sharing my journey and I started sharing um, how... I wanted to explore different aspects of recovery, but also like the physical aspects of recovery. Like how do we get healthy in recovery? Because I didn't want to sit there and eat donuts all the time. And, um, you know, and smoke, I gave up smoking. Um, so yeah, I, I started my blog, Lives Recovery Kitchen, and um, I discovered that I could write. I still kind of find that hard to believe today, but I am a writer. And um it kind of went from there. I started uh, being asked to write for publications and it just occurred to me like, what if I move to America and do this full time? I was born in the States originally, despite my accent, you can't really tell. Um, and just thought, you know, I'd, I'd always, it had always been on my radar to do that. So I decided to bite the bullet and I moved to Portland, Oregon in 2017 and I have been writing ever since and it's it's really quite remarkable you know I, I get so caught up in like oh my god I'm so stressed out or <laughs> I don't feel very well or I had to have a nana nap this afternoon or whatever but actually you know I moved to America with two suitcases and a dream and I didn't know anyone I didn't have anywhere to live I didn't have any work lined up and I just bought a house. Uh, That's amazing. <laughs> so my, yeah, it is actually, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I don't give myself enough credit because I can get so drawn into the the detail of the day-to-day. Um, my work has changed quite considerably. You know, I went from a blog writer to a journalist to um, a content strategist. So I actually help manage people's blogs and curate content for them. Um, I just started writing for Faces and Voices of Recovery, um, managing their blog and um, other like local recovery community organizations. There's one in Portland called 4D Recovery. And I feel so blessed to be able to do that for young people. I'm so passionate about helping young people in recovery um, in any way possible. So, yeah, so the work has changed quite considerably. And then we started this podcast and... Yeah, my life is great, uh, but it's hard work. <laughs> oh, and I got a dog. Oh. I got a dog, oh. Bowie. Bowie. <laughs> what kind of a dog is Bowie? Bowie is a black lab mix, oh. and I named her after my late brother's dog because my late brother loved David Bowie, and he had uh, a dog with a it's called Bowie with a with a blue eye and a brown eye. Um, so you're living the dream. Yeah. You're really, you, you said there had to be more to life and then you just went out and, you know, yeah. just built it. I did. Yeah. But I did, I did move south of Portland an hour south. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, it's not that far, but it really is. And, you know, that, that old saying, you need to be careful what you wish for is, is so true because I had moved from an apartment building in, you know, in the heart of Portland that was really busy and I'm an empath. I was picking up on all this energy from other people all the time. And I just wanted to be in a house. I wanted to grow my own vegetables and, you know, have a bit of solitude. And now I've got a little bit too much. <laughs> I'm a bit lonely. So yeah, it's, it's kind of like moving to Portland again for the first time. Uh, I need to find more community. Tiffany, tell us about you. Ah, yeah. So I feel like it's such a big question. <laughs> but, um, but I I, str- I struggled, you know, when I was a young woman, I, I dieted off and on a lot. And I got depressed and found substances um, to help me through that. 
And so at a really young age, I, I amphetamines were actually a big part of my story. And so um, they really brought me to my knees pretty quickly. Um, and so I went to rec- I went to treatment at a really young age and didn't stay sober from the time I went to treatment, but um, started to, you know, attend 12-step and um, promptly met a boy and got pregnant. <laughs> uh, so that was at 17 years old and um, had my daughter when I was 18. The boy and I didn't last, surprisingly. <laughs> um, and uh, had my daughter, you know, and so I was really motivated to stay sober, really, you know, motivated to go to school, do something with my life that would allow me to support my family. And um, went to started going to school, started going to nursing school. And when my daughter was five, my husband moved in. And at that point, you know, I got really focused on working and, you know, building a family life. So I was less engaged in 12 step, but I still was participating. So I had my, um, my personal, like my family life and, you know, my daughter would go and stay with her grand, you know, her grandparents and stuff. So I even had time with my daughter and time without, with not having my daughter there. And then, you know, when my husband moved in, we had time together as well with and without, and we had a blended family. So, you know, it was like my family life, and then I became a nurse and I had my professional life and then I had my recovery life. And it was all very segmented. Um, and throughout all of that, I, um, I struggled with food. And so, you know, I really felt like my, I didn't, I was never formally diagnosed, but I probably would have qualified for a binge eating disorder. I definitely had disordered eating. And a lot of that I feel like was due to diet culture, uh, but I didn't recognize that. So into my nursing career, I got an injury. I got really burnt out. I had some other serious health issues come up and found that um, the diets that I was prescribed got more and more and more restrictive until I felt like that was going to really be become a huge problem, that I was going to kind of develop a full-blown eating disorder. And fortunately, I had found coaching. Um, I'm, I am a coach under my nursing license. So I had started coaching on health and wellness and self-care, but it kind of felt like a fraud because I was still struggling with food so much and was directed to intuitive eating by a therapist. And that really changed my life. And what I realized was that I had internalized this message that I was broken, that there was something wrong with me and recognizing that actually diet culture (laughs) was really a big contributor to this and um, constantly focusing on my weight and, you know, all of this stuff and trying to eat clean, so to speak, was a big part of why I felt like there was something wrong with me because I couldn't obtain perfection. So in healing my relationship with food, I really discovered a lot about myself. I had to really get clear about where my value and my worth come from and that those are constant and that they don't change based on whether I, you know, ate a certain way or even whether I'm sober, right? Or whether I am a nurse at the hospital or whether, um, you know, how I behave, whether I uh, achieve a certain number of things. So in all of that, I recognized that I needed to integrate all of these pieces of me and just be who I am all of the time. And, um, that has been a big, a big part of why I'm so motivated to do the work that I do now. Um, so I, I got trained in intuitive eating and that's what I do with my clients. Now I coach them on healing their relationship with food. What is, in, and I have left, what is intuitive eating? Just, just, uh, yeah. So intuitive eating is basically rejecting all of the diet culture, rejecting all of the shoulds around food. And instead, developing a relationship with our bodies and getting in tune with our hunger and our fullness signals and our other needs and really starting to honor those needs um, instead of doing things because we should or because we want to lose weight or look a certain way or, or because we think we need to to be perfect. Um, so it's much more about honoring your body and being connected to your body. So both of you talk about... Um... Your recovery almost seems like twofold in some ways because a lot of women have overlap between their addiction, whether it's to alcohol, drugs, or something else, and then eating behaviors or issues with foods or body image. Um, and so that overlap for both of you is, you know, really, it, it seems like it really strengthens your conversation. Do you find that it colors your perspective on most of your conversations? And is there anywhere that you really disagree about things? Hmm. <laughs> I, 
I, I think it strengthens our relationship, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, personally, we, I mean, we have such a great relationship where we're so respectful of one another that even if we disagree, it doesn't really phase us, you know. Um, but I can't actually find a point that we do disagree. I mean, I my belief around um, substance use disorder is that is just the tip of the iceberg and that, the complexity of the disorder nowadays is is so vast that usually underpinning it all is some kind of adverse childhood experience. And mm-hmm. all of the substances that we are using, whether that is food, drugs, alcohol, relationships, dysfunction, whatever, is actually just an outward way of coping with pain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that Liv and I differed more when we first met and that that was really what this podcast was born out of and Mm. why we had such an urgency around. We didn't want to get to a point where we had the exact same perspective on things. That's a good point. You know? And so we've gotten closer in our perspective. I think our values are very similar and that Mm. that's what makes our friendship and working together really work is that we can always come back to values. So even though Liv, I would say Liv is a little more radical in her thinking about recovery. And Mm. I might be a little more radical in my thinking around food, although not so much now. Um, But that actually has allowed us to kind of, when she would say things about recovery, and then I recognize that that's my belief around food, but I hadn't applied it to my recovery or vice versa. Mm -hmm. That really was like, wait a minute, why isn't it the same? Why haven't we applied these things in these other arenas? And that's kind of part of the integration for me. Um, but I would say, you know, there are definitely topics that when they come up, I'm like, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, you know, and then we have to like flesh it out. But really, it always comes back to that value and um, and having a lot of mutual mm-hmm. respect for mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Fantastic. Sure. Okay. I noticed that you have a community on Facebook for listeners of your podcast. Tell us about we do. that. Breaking free community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just some bit where where we share what's going on, um, where we can discuss the podcast and any issues or anything that that people have thought of when they listen to the episodes. Um, yeah, that's just. Uh, I'd like to be in there a little bit more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a forum for people to create that connection and you know, rather than just having a Facebook page where we're just posting stuff, that doesn't necessarily invite interaction. Yeah. That's what we wanted to be able to facilitate. Yeah. We want this to be a conversation for sure. And Liv actually has another community. Yes, I do. It's called Life After 12 Step Recovery. And I have been challenged (laughs) (laughs) about that a lot. And I'll tell you why, because people assume that when there is a group like that, that it is going to be vehemently Mm. against 12 step. And it is not. And actually, the most amount of flack I get is from people within the group. And it is because I will not allow people to bash AA. I will allow that the whole purpose of the group is to facilitate the transition from leaving 12 step to a life after 12 step. You're absolutely welcome to discuss elements of constructively of elements of 12 step that didn't work for you. Uh, and those that did, but it is not there to blindly bash everyone in AA because there are other groups that will do that. Um, 12 step groups, 12 step as a whole work for people. And I respect that. So I am not providing a forum for people to just bitch about AA. Um, <laughs> I want though. And also, you know, like if, if imagine, and I always say this to people in the group, like imagine if you were on the fence and you're thinking, oh my God, there's something that's not right here. I need someone to validate these concerns that I have. And you see that the alternative is a group of people that are just so hateful. Like that's right. not appealing. <laughs> it's life after 12 step full of resentment because that's what you're told is the alternative. Um, and actually what I'm presenting is saying, actually, look at it. There are so many of us. I think there are like 300 people in the group already who are thriving in recovery. And that's what I wanted to represent. I wanted to show that these people are living a fulfilling, purposeful life, just as people are in AA. But it is just saying that you don't necessarily need that to recover. And if you want to know how to leave, then these are some of the options that people. How can people find 
these groups and your podcast and both of you. So the groups on Facebook are Breaking Free Community. Just search for that and then request to join the group. And the other one is Life After 12 Step Recovery. The same there. Um, our podcast is on Anchor mm-hmm. FM. And you from there, you can then listen on a number of different platforms, SoundCloud, um, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you know a whole host of different podcasts yeah and if you go to either one of our we have a website called breakingfreerecovery.com um and Liv and I each have our own websites as well that have the podcast on there so mine is um coach tiffany rn.com and live is Liv's Liv's recovery. recovery kitchen yeah. well it has been fantastic talking to both of you today i'm so proud of you for the good that you're putting into this world and all the work that you're doing and i'm just proud to be associated with you and to be your friend and to just shine a light on the work that you're doing and to stand with you in helping others live their best lives thank you for being here today Thank you, Jean. Thank you, and thank you for all you do as well. It's my pleasure. We'll talk again soon. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide We think you're strong just cause you'll keep it all inside It just stays in wait there to rob you of your pride Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine When you see old, I did that, not proud I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Oh, this head on You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear You don't need to whisper to confession there person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I'm old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you said on me When you say I'm proud that that was me And when I face it I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from power Oh, you said